Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, February 25th, 2024. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. So 54 Loves Cast albums were coming up quickly, March 7th, just a few weeks away. Uh, how are things going? Good, good. We had a few rehearsals this week. Charles Kirsch and I rehearsed our duet, Impossible. <laughs> oh, from, that's uh, great. Yeah. That is great. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it would be nice to do something, and that was the one that immediately popped into my mind. This is, of course, is the hilarious number from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the, the Forum, where um, Hero is in love with the courtesan Philia. And uh, his father, Senex, is in lust with the courtesan Philia. And uh, so it's a kind of a little jealousy duet between the two of them. And we really had fun rehearsing it. It's it's funny, even even early Sondheim is more difficult than you think. <laughs> uh, like little, just little things in the, in the notes, uh, the, you know, the um, intervals and the... And the way the the lyrics uh, repeat, but not exactly. Um, so we, you know, we had we we had to work on it <laughs> a few times. <laughs> uh, but uh, actually, we did a video of it. I'll see if I can send that along and uh, include it either this week or next week. Wow, that's going to be great. Uh, one thing I don't see from the website here, Michael, is this going to be streamed or not? No, this one uh, is not. They they don't stream all of their shows. Yeah. yeah. So you have to be there in person Thursday, March 7th at 7 p.m. Doors open at 530. Uh, so 54 Loves Cast Albums, the second edition. So check that out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. So we had a few things I wanted to mention before we get on to our review section today. We had news this week that Second Stage is going to leave it's uh home on 8th Avenue and, and 44th Street. Um, guys, it, it, was this a shock to you? It sure was to me, I'll tell you. I, I thought they were well ensconced there. Yeah. They're now and forever. So um, <clears throat> it's such a lovely theater, too. Um, the fact that it has stadium seating is one of its great assets. Uh, so the sight lines are terrific. And um, there it is right in the heart of the theater district, I imagine, Somebody is going to take it over, but of course, everybody fears it's going to be turned into a co-op um, building or what have you. So I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, did did we mention it was an old bank? 
Yeah, it's yeah, an old right. chase. I think it was a chase or, I mean, it seems like every square inch in Manhattan at one point was a chase. <laughs> chase bang, <yeah. laughs> so it really is striking. You know, it was always striking when you walked in to see um, the vault. How the vault. They, <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, but also uh, then once you get upstairs, how they renovated and those huge windows mm. uh, along the, the one wall where they always had to uh, uh, have curtains drawn over them for, uh, for matinees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's just another, um, it, it really is so, so sad, uh, the situation in this city in terms of rents skyrocketing, uh, and so many wonderful places that used to be are no more for that reason. I, I, I recently, um, posted uh you guys all know the triton gallery sure mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which used to have a wonderful uh space mm-hmm. right on the street level on mm-hmm. 45th street mm-hmm. and then uh, you know presumably the the rent got raised so high that they had to move to an upper floor of uh first the film center building uh, i'm not sure if there's they're still there uh they're somewhere uh, in the neighborhood but it's an upper floor you know in a in a in an office building uh rather than this wonderful street space and it's and the the galling thing is that that space the old space mm-hmm. has remained basically empty for what is it like 25 or 30 years now no, it, it could be it really yeah could. and and the and the awning uh that says Triton Gallery is still up there and mm-hmm. still in, in excellent condition. And you walk by it and you see this empty shell and you just, it makes your blood boil. It's so, so awful. And that will continue until the laws are changed so that uh, uh, landlords can't get tax credits for empty buildings, for keeping buildings empty for decades, which right. is one of the worst, absolute worst things that ever happened mm. to New York City. So if you look at the New York Times article on uh, this news about Second Stage leaving this this facility, I think the picture tells the whole story. It's the corner of 8th Avenue and 44th Street, a highly, highly desirable location. Yes. And the building is three stories tall. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I am. I would. Bet you a thousand bucks that there there's plans for a forty story building there mm. uh, uh that will go up there um let's hope that uh maybe they put a a, a theater somewhere on the lower floors uh well can you know, that theater stay and they can they build above it can that happen can I don't think you can build above it the way that it's situated because no, it's so. yeah but you know, if you notice, there's two buildings on Eighth Avenue just to the right of it that seem to be abandoned. I bet you that they're owned by whoever owns the thing. What was surprising right. to me was that Second Stage didn't buy that space; they rented it, which mm. uh, was surprising to me because they seem to have been there forever. And I just assumed that they owned it. They bought it for a good price when Hell's Kitchen and, and Clinton was not doing so well. Uh, and yeah, so. I guess many of us assume that, but but obviously not. Um, and yes, one of the articles, one of the things I read said that they assumed that that whole that whole corner of that block yeah. is going to come mm-hmm. down, and some yeah, yet another high rise <laughs> is going to go up. Yeah, so uh, we will see what we see, but it was uh, uh, 
uh, certainly not on my radar screen. I was like, wow, that to- yeah, I totally missed that. No rumors, no, you know, chatter about it and things like this. It just happened. They second stage just pulled the trigger and said, we are out of here. So, uh, quite quite amazing also uh they had previous they had previously let go of their third space which was up at 76th and and Mm -hmm. broadway so uh so soon it will be just the haze well that's not inconsiderable of course and obviously having the broadway presence was more important because they own the haze right yeah they purchased the haze so they purchased the haze but you know second stage you know, you know, they can't do all their programming in the haze, can they? I mean, well, they'll have it... they'll have to. I mean, they, you know, it, of course, it is so small, um, and actually, probably not not yeah. m- much larger than <laughs> right. than the uh, than the mm-hmm. than the one we're talking about. That's, yeah. that's the bank place. Uh, but I think that they would they would run into. Uh, it's a block away and not much bigger, but I think that the the contractual costs might be too high to do a you know an off Broadway type of show or a play in there or something like that. Well, but on the other hand, then they can put all their resources into the one space and not and not have that the rent mm. of the place that that they're moving out of, um, which is I'm sure was considerable. Hmm. Okay, we will. <laughs> Keep you apprised as to what what happens there next. It's a uh, quite a shock. I mean, second stage is so important to the the uh, the Broadway ecology. So, I mean, mm-hmm. lots of really important things have come out of second stage. Uh, Riverside and Crazy, mm-hmm. Dear Evan Hansen. Sure. What else has come out? Next come to out normal. There? Next yeah. to normal, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's really really quite. Uh, a, a hit to the off-Broadway to Broadway relationship. So, Michael, you uh, <clears throat> wanted to talk about the 1919 <clears throat> musical La La Lucille. Tell us. <laughs> yeah, who who thought we'd be talking about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, this, uh, I mean, this actually apparently happened um, a, a, a little while ago, but I, I just read about it this week. Uh, I'll read here from uh, YouTube and and I will send you the link also. La La Lucille is a bedroom farce, which one critic described as a riotous syncopation of negligees, racy (laughs) lines and embarrassing situations (laughs) with a book by Fred Jackson and lyrics primarily by Buddy DeSilva and Arthur J. Jackson. But, the big hook here is that the music was by George Gershwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the production opened on Broadway on May 26, 1919, and later toured around the country. A silent film was also released, but is re- regrettably assumed to be lost. Eight piano vocal selections from the show were published, and four orchestrations, all cut or reused, are preserved in the Library of Congress, but the remainder of the music was thought to be lost. Until recently, the Gershwin Initiative, uh, until recently, period, uh, the Gershwin Initiative is pleased to announce the rediscovery of this music to be included in our forthcoming volume of the George and Ira Gershwin Critical Edition. And so what happened was on August 28th, 2023, Associate Editor Jacob Kurtzner visited the Samuel French Company 
theater collection at Amherst College to collect various materials. After requesting a box labeled La La Lucille and browsing almost 800 pages of music, many crumbling at the edges, Jacob confirmed that these materials were indeed from the supposedly lost show. Uh, to read more about this project, visit, and then there's a link. So, um, yeah, so maybe, you know, who knows, maybe Encores will <laughs> have a La La Lucille in its future. Well, um, I do know one song from it. Uh, there's more to The Kiss Than The Sound, which was the first song in one of Ben Bagley's uh, George Gershwin Revisited uh, albums. It's a terrific song. Lane Stritch does it. It's worth looking up. I imagine it's on YouTube. What isn't? But um, it's a delightful song, and it was the, the third act opener of uh, the show way back in 1919. So um, if, if the rest of them are as good as that, it's going to be a terrific score. By the way, when when people hear the title, of course, they immediately think of No No Net. But uh, that show was a little later. That was 1925. Right. That's right. So La La Lucille was first, and then That's No right. No Net. Let alone Yes 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 Yes. Which is after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a million of them. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, uh, Michael found a great video from YouTube uh, that we'll have in the show notes if you want to kind of check out and get more information about it. Um, last night at the SAG Awards, we got a little announcement that uh, Audra said, uh, no gypsy for her right now. Michael, why don't you give us more deets? Oh, actually, I think you know more than me. I, I, I just read <laughs> I just read that she said it. I didn't even know it was at the SAG Awards. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, it's a Broadway World uh, article. I'll throw that in the show notes where she's talking about, uh, she said, I'll quote the article. It says, oh, no, that was a rumor. I read about that many in the New York Post who, you know, people talk, people talk. McDonald told Entertainment Tonight on the 2024 Screen Actors Guild Awards red carpet on Saturday night. Um, despite these rumors, McDonald's, McDonald says she's hoping to be back on Broadway soon. Hmm. Um, I'm hoping so too. Yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So you can check out uh, the article from Broadway world about Audra and gypsy. There's no information there other than Audra saying she's not doing it right now. So, she remembered that there was um, she was supposed to do Night Mother with Oprah Winfrey. Mm, yeah, I uh, wonder if that thought might be revived. Mm. Interesting. All right. So, uh, in our review section, Peter, you got to see the uh, hot off Broadway ticket, Oh Mary, at the <laughs> Lucy Lortel. So. Tell us about this uh, show. <laughs> well, um, in the grand tradition of uh, Charles Ludlam and Charles Bush, uh, we now have a new uh, person uh, who has taken on the mantle, and that is Cola Scola. And Cole is playing Mary Todd Lincoln in this play that um, they have um, written. And it's great fun, no question about it, uh, because <clears throat> Mary, who uh, history has not treated 
that kindly over the years. Um, I guess they've told the truth. Um, has is 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 certainly a drunk, a liar, a, a cheat, a, a hundred terrible things. And what's really clever, though, is the fact that uh, she had theatrical ambitions to be a cabaret singer in Cole's mind. And um, <laughs> so Abe Lincoln, to keep her quiet, decides to hire an acting coach. So it's a very smart move who that acting coach is. The acting coach certainly has a reputation as an actor. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the show, uh, when we are taken to our American cousin, um, we we're also surprised there as well, because something happens that we didn't uh, find out in actual history. Uh, Cola Scola has a very clever idea um, as to what to do with that night. And I thought that was tremendously significant too. Abe Lincoln is portrayed as somebody who has uh, lust not for his wife, but someone else entirely. Now, here's what I'm going to say, <clears throat> and I hope I'm not going to cause any trouble. When I saw this, all I could think of was Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, going mm. to see it and saying, look what this is happening. Look at the way Abraham Lincoln is being desecrated. This is so terrible. Now, the irony of that is that looking on um, Talking Broadway, all that chat Talking Broadway, which I hope everybody looks at, at least from time to time, there was a post from somebody saying, oh, Mary versus Patriots. And I thought, oh, my God, it's happened. The Patriots have come to uh, see O'Mary, and they're going to start trouble. <laughs> and then the post was, I'm coming to New York. Should I see O'Mary or should I see Patriots at the Barrymore Theater? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope I'm not uh, starting trouble. But I'll tell you, um, this is not a show for right wingers, believe me. Uh, and um, but for the rest of uh, the populace, I think you'll have a marvelous time. It is astonishingly funny at every turn, but not just camp. It's inventive as well. As I say, the acting coach and our American cousin, those two scenes show you that this Cola Escola has a marvelous imagination, not just a good line every now and then, but a marvelous imagination. Um, Peter is has Cole been around? Uh, uh, are they um, going to be a theater world uh, run uh, consideration? Well, Michael has mentioned him. You know, you know, you knew him from before, right, Michael? Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find. Uh, he did some hilarious videos uh, years ago. Yeah, with mm -hmm. a guy named Jeffrey Self. Remember Jeffrey Self? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one that they did, I, I haven't found this particular one yet, but it was it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. It was at uh, one of those times when there was uh, when gay marriage was voted down mm -hmm. somewhere, whether in New York or whether it was that that proposition in California. And so <laughs> the video started with the two of them, uh, you know, as a couple like talking to to the to the camera and saying, um, you know, at first they're very upbeat, and, and but then Jeffrey says, uh, "We have decided that we are going to respond to this by not getting married until uh, you know this law is rescinded." And and the thing is that this comes as a total news to Cole, so he starts like crying <laughs> because he apparently wasn't told that they weren't getting married <laughs> and it's just the sweetest funniest thing you've ever seen so i'll have mm. to see if i can find that but if not uh just 
um, go to YouTube and uh, Google Coleskola. That's C O L E E S C O L A, and it's Jeffrey J E F F E R Y self. Um, just really, really funny stuff. But I, but as to your question, uh, James, I would think uh, he would be very much eligible for eligible for Theater World um, award. I just didn't know if he he had been on other on right. other stages, you know, to. Not as far as I know, not not something that, uh, you know, that would have attracted enough attention that he would have been eligible previously for Matt a- Tamanini, uh Matt Tamanini saw Old Mary and uh, raved about it and felt like, even though it's very small, that it could be something that could transfer. Uh, there has been noise about that. Because yeah. it's so, because the comedy is so broad. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he felt that he uh, Matt said that he he loved it and thought it was really funny and poignant and just what Peter said was it, it's campy but it's also it, it's also insightful. Right. So uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's just been extended at the Lortel through May fifth. Uh, so check it out. And I have uh, Cola Scola's website in the show notes as well, so you can check that out right from there. Uh, Michael and Peter got over to City Center Encores to see Jelly's Last Jam. So, uh, Michael, why don't you get us started on Jelly? Yeah, I really, really loved it. This was a show that was on Broadway in 1992 with uh, Gregory Hines in the title role. And um, just as a little background here, um, Jelly Roll Morton, well, his (laughs) real name was... Ferdinand Joseph Lamotte uh, Morton, uh, known professionally as Jelly Roll Morton, was an American ragtime and jazz pianist, band leader, and composer of Louisiana Creole descent, which is a very um, important point in the plot of the show. Uh, Morton was jazz's first arranger proving that a genre rooted in improvisation could retain its essential characteristics when notated. Uh, His composition, Jelly Roll Blues, published in 1915, was one of the first published jazz compositions. He also claimed to have invented the genre. And that's that's the main crux of uh, of this show is that he claims to have invented jazz and and there's much discussion and debate as to whether or not that's true um music critic scott yano once wrote jelly roll morton did himself a lot of harm posthumously by exaggerating his worth his accomplishments as an early innovator are so vast that he did not really need to stretch the truth so that's that's really what this is all about this show has music primarily by jelly roll morton uh with additional music um and adap- adaptation uh by the great luther henderson and the lyrics are by susan birkenhead uh but this uh you know this kind of um what would you call it? This jerry-rigged show, I mean, at, kind of put together after the fact, is a lot more successful than than others uh, that have tried to do the same thing. Uh, just really well done. The, the conceit is that it uh, the action basically begins upon the death of Jelly Roll Morton, and we see him in purgatory, uh, basically. And um, he's we see the um, the most important. Uh, 
times in his life and and career and and how uh, how that all unfolded and and where it brought him to and uh, and where uh, he, we see that he's he he's not depicted as a very nice person um, in throughout the show. So that, and that can be an issue for some people watching it, uh, but he's always interesting. So uh, I don't have a huge problem with that. Um, I would say. Uh, that this was a phenomenal production uh, in terms of the direction by Robert O'Hara, uh, the uh, musical direction by, uh, uh, they have a guest musical director for the show, Jason Michael Webb, the playing of the Encores Orchestra, and um, maybe most of all, the amazing choreography. Uh, it's credited to Edgar Godineau, a choreographer, and then separate tap choreography by someone named Dormitia, one name, D-O-R-M-E-S-H-I-A. Um, I would say that any flaw in this performance that I saw were, were uh, perhaps just in the show itself, not in the production, um, with one exception. Uh, although I thought, uh, well, Billy Porter, I should say, plays a character called the Chimney Man, uh, who is sort of a, a well, I, I, he 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 has the job of like sweeping people's souls <laughs> uh, from purgatory to either heaven or hell, uh, and that's so. So he's that that kind of a underworld figure, uh, and he. Uh, so you have a lot of latitude when playing a, a figure like that. But I thought, uh, although his acting and his singing were just completely excellent, um, I thought it was distracting in terms of his costuming and his makeup. I thought uh, both of which called um, attention to himself in in a in a way that was not uh, helpful to the narrative. Uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing to, to have outrageous costuming and makeup when you're making a personal appearance at an award show, but when you're part of a musical, I, I think you really, um, should avoid doing that if it doesn't fit the character. And I, and I really didn't think so here. He had a lot of glitter in his makeup. He was wearing some kind of a pants suit. And then, um, he had a jacket on for a lot of the show, but then at times he took it off. And when he took it off, he was wearing a very sheer, very, very sheer black top, which uh, basically completely exposed his chest, including his nipples. <laughs> and uh, it just, uh, I mean, I don't think that sexuality is is a, is a an important part of this character of the Chimney Man. So uh, I, I really think he did himself a disservice. And it was uh, disappointing to me because his acting was so good. And uh, we mentioned before that he has had vocal problems in the past, but um, it seems to me like maybe he's gotten by them. I mean, this is not the most difficult role vocally, but it's not easy either. And he sounded great. So I think on on those levels, you're going to be very, very pleased with his performance, even if you agree with me about the costuming and the makeup. Uh, but anyway, other than that, just a superb, phenomenal production. The three uh, women who originally played the honeys, uh, the three honeys is what they're called, when this show played on Broadway in 1991 or two, two um, believe it or not, they are back. All three of them are back and they look phenomenal they just look amazing uh just 
gorgeous. Mamie Duncan Gibbs, uh, Stephanie Pope Lofgren. Uh, she was Stephanie Pope back then. Now she's Stephanie Pope Lofgren and Allison M. Williams. Um, the set. Oh, well, then. It, well, first of all, uh, then we also have. Um, we have Joaquina Kalukongo. We have uh, um, Leslie Uggams, which, uh, I mean, if she were the only, she would be reason enough to come see this show. Uh, just amazing that that a legend like that is is on stage doing such a phenomenal job in the role of Grand Mimi. Um, jelly rolls grandmother uh and it's only it's a brief role but she has a really knockout powerhouse number in act one and then she makes a brief appearance in act two as well so oh just a privilege amazing privilege to see her on stage um and nicholas christopher who i i recently saw triumph as sweeney todd um is is jelly roll and i mean if you saw either of these performances uh just in and of themselves you would think he's phenomenally talented but seeing both of them uh, as i did within a few weeks uh just i mean you're just gobsmacked by his versatility and uh and then in this case um by his dancing ability i i had no clue that he could dance so well in addition to his amazing singing voice uh because there isn't much dance and Sweeney Todd and certainly no tap. Uh, so, um, yeah, he is, uh, I mean, he is, I think, one of the greatest uh, talents to emerge on Broadway in recent years. And you're really going to keep his eye on him. Uh, but he was surrounded by a beautiful production here. The um, Usually uh, at Encores, the, the orchestra is on race platforms at the rear of the stage and sort of in the middle and extending, you know, to either side. But here um, they're they're towards the rear, uh, but they're on stage right and stage left. And in the center, there's a huge golden door, uh, double doors, actually, in Art Deco style, which I, I guess are some supposed to represent the doors leading to either heaven or hell and uh just having that as the centerpiece made the whole gave the whole thing a feeling of much more of a fully staged production uh than some of the other encore shows that plus the fact that there was so much brilliant choreography um what else do I have to say that the show has its flaws? I think the first act is is too long, and the second act, um, uh, many people seem to agree it it doesn't really it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. And then the ending seems rather abrupt to me. But the the music and the dancing and the the way the music was adapted by Luther Henderson and the way the lyrics uh, Susan Birkenhead wrote lyrics to these songs uh uh and the the book by George Wolf uh the way it ties it all together for the most part i i think it really is one of the best shows of its of its unusual genre, which is really kind of a mixture. It's not, not a jukebox musical, but something um, maybe a little more complex and, and more meaningful. Uh, so I would highly, highly recommend that you get to see this show during its second week of performances coming up at New York city center. All right, Peter, what did you think? 
Much the same, <clears throat> not quite the same. And again, the, the suggestion I would make has nothing to do with Encores, because mm. Encores has to do the show um, pretty much as, as it was originally done. Um, it, of course, the music is what uh, Encores really centers on, and that's tremendously successful. The band is very hot. I agree with everything about the choreography that Michael has said. I'm mean, a phenomenal job there. Um, there's been talk of it moving. Well, if it moves, I would like to see it uh, very much condensed because I do believe this is a show that takes its eye off the ball many, many times. Mm -hmm. What it is about is the fact that he is a light-skinned black and he uses that as much to his advantage as he could during his life. Um, and uh, he has contempt for uh, those people who are darker than he. And that is the stuff that really is potent in this show. But when we get involved with romance and uh, girlfriends and ch who, whether he should have this girlfriend or that, and who his true love is, all that, all that stuff really takes its eye off the ball. And um, I'd love to see so much of that disappear. The first act is interminably long, as Michael mm. implied, and as a result, this would make an excellent 90-minute intermissionless show if we could get rid of all the stuff that isn't germane to that main interesting thing about what it's like to be a light-skinned black in a time when the light, well, Once in this Island does with, deals with this as well. But anyway, you get the point I'm making. And that, to me, uh, is the flaw in Jelly's Last Jam. But as a presentation at Encores, yes, it is one of the best. I swear to God, Peter, I almost said this show would be much better if it was condensed and done without an intermission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, normally they don't make major changes oh, like that at Encores. Right, yeah. they shouldn't, right. yeah. Another uh, issue with the show is that um, did you notice a lot of a lot of the first act is people talking to the audience and not to each other, mm. uh, and it takes a while mm. before the characters mm. actually start to mm. have actual That's dialogue true. scenes where very they're true. looking at each other, and um, so that might that might have been uh, that was another maybe little flaw in the yeah. in the book that George C. Wolf. Um, I wish he had maybe taken another look at that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it certainly has the feel of a Broadway show, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, it was, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, George Wolf, can we pull him away from his film and television uh, <laughs> things to take another look at Jellies? Uh, that that maybe. remains to be seen. Uh, his schedule's schedule's pretty full uh according to ibdb this was his first appearance on broadway was uh as the uh in uh, jelly's last jam um he really so, made a reputation with the colored museum an off-broadway show that's right really uh, put him on the map right yeah so he uh he not only directed it, but he wrote the book as well, of course. And uh, George Wolfe has been an amazing, amazing amount of work on uh, to the Broadway community. So that is Jelly's Last Jam. has got another week next week at City Center Encores. And uh, we'll see if it's got uh, something beyond next week as well. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly a lot of people talking about how good this mm -hmm. production is. But can you... You know, will uh, Billy Porter's sheer shirt make it make the make the 
make it to another theater. I don't know. Well, I'm sure there are many people who don't mind it at all. But I, <laughs> I just found it distracting. All right. So uh, next up, Peter, you headed over to the New World Stages where you saw a sign of the times. So uh, tell us about this musical. Well, I assumed this was going to be a review. Uh, they certainly, on the poster, show the number of song, a number of the songs that are going to be in the show, and they're all from the uh, mid '60s. And uh, okay, I, I just assumed that's what was going to happen. No, there's a book, a very lengthy book. This is a two and a half hour show, and it's about this young woman uh, in Centerville, Ohio. And she's been going with her high school boyfriend uh, for a long time. And now that she's been graduated from high school, well, it's time to get married and have children, isn't it? No, she decides she's going to come to New York and she's going to be a photographer. He's very upset about this. Uh, of course, he does have other problems because he does get drafted. Uh, this is still a time when people did get drafted and the Vietnam War was on. So she comes to New York and she meets this dashingly handsome man um, who runs an advertising agency and uh, she falls desperately in love with him. Now, what I'm going to say here is somewhat of a spoiler, but I think it's the real fundamental problem with the show. And it is the problem in so many jukebox musicals. It was something that happened in bullets over Broadway. So many times the people who put together these jukebox musicals, look at a song and they see the first line, the first two <laughs> lines apply and the rest of it doesn't. Okay. So she gets betrayed by the guy. So what does she sing? You don't own me. You don't own me. All right, fine. So far, so good. But the next line says, when you take me out, don't put me on display. He has betrayed her. She is telling him that she will never have anything to do with him again in the book. And why is she singing, when you take me out, don't put me on display? He's not going to take her out anymore. She doesn't, she wouldn't go out with him anymore. I mean, he's betrayed. So that's really a big problem. Um, a fundamentally bigger problem, too, is there's a very 21st century sensibility of what happens at the end of the uh, show. And I don't want to give too much away, and I've been debating since I saw the show on Monday night how I'm going to deal with this today, because there's no way to really be clear about this without giving away something important. But let me just say that at the end of the show, um, the woman has to come to terms with the fact of something involving somebody she knew before. And it would never happen in 1965 it would happen now yes it would it could but let me tell you that a girl from centerville ohio in 1965 would not be accepting of what she learns at the end of this show there is no way that would happen the audience by the way loved this show tremendously and they loved hearing the songs and I will say this for all my complaints about um, they use the first two lines of the songs and then um, it, it turns out to be wrong for the for the situation. The use of downtown at the end of the show is very smart, very smart indeed, because we usually think of downtown as being the epicenter of a city. Usually we think that. I mean, you know, if you if you go to Boston, downtown is Washington Street, where the Colonial Theater uh, is near, and 
Schubert and um, yeah, the, 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 where you go to eat and uh, all that. Kind of, that's what downtown is. But the use of downtown here in this circumstance is very different and very smart. So at the end of the show, I forgave a bit of what went on beforehand. Very well performed, excellently directed by Gabriel Barry excellently directed slick smart moves wonderfully not an easy show to direct so uh the choreography is terrific as well so all that's in place but if uh, i tell you you know even though i'm not a fan of reviews i think it would have been the lesser of two evils in this case okay so uh sign of the times be playing scheduled right now at new world stages through june 2nd and we'll have a link to that in the show notes peter you also get over to the vineyard theater to see russian troll farm or workplace comedy so tell us about this what i'm going to say about this play is exactly the opposite of what i said about O'Mary, and what i mean by that is that this is an ideal show for right-wingers um I do know, I do know that the playwright's intention was definitely to make us uh, <clears throat> regret what happened in um, in the election in which Trump won. Um, that's what the play is about. Whether or not there was some subversive action from Russia to make Trump the winner. But it's just so painful for those of us who don't want Trump in the White House to see how this happened or how the playwright uh, thought it happened. I mean, Sarah Gancher is the playwright and she's done an excellent job in writing a play about this situation, whether or not it's at all true, whether or not it's all believable is probably in the mind of the beholder, but, but to have to live through this and everybody's talking about, uh, well, Hillary, the polls, the Hillary is doing so well, you know, so on and so forth. We have to do things to change that. Yeah, I'm, she might very well be 100% telling the truth, but, um, wow, it's just painful to live, relive this. I will say that the last line of the play is terrific. It is very smart and really comments on what really is on Sarah Ganch's mind. She is not, needless to say, in favor of Trump having been elected. Um, it is not that type of thing. But I do believe that people could go see this, and aside from the last line, um, the right-wingers really have a hell of a time saying, yeah, this is what happened. Wasn't this great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, very nicely performed by Christine Lati, uh, who's the head of the um, organization, uh, or at least uh, <laughs> what we see of the organization. And um, Haskell King, um is very fine too is one of the uh, people who doing uh what he can to see that uh trump gets elected but that's what it's about and um you know so i i warn you that if you have no taste for um <laughs> this area of politics it's it's going to be very hard for you to sit to and be reminded of what happened um way back when all right uh, so Russian Troll Farm is scheduled through, uh, so the press release says it's scheduled through March 3rd. The website says March 1st. So I'll split the difference and say sometime <laughs> March 2nd. Uh, so, but we'll have a link to that in the show notes and you can go check it out. It uh, just seems to have like a week or so left in it. Uh, 
And then, Peter, you turned around and changed theaters at New World Stages uh, and saw The Life and Slimes of Mark Summers, uh, a uh, Alex Brightman and Jude Gasparini uh, gig. So, so tell us about this. Well, <clears throat> I don't know if I should say this. This might be a, a spoiler, but this is one of those shows where somebody's pulled out of the audience and uh, we laugh at um, how uh, inept he might be and how he's a victim and all that kind of business. <laughs> well, at the end of the show, we're giving a little piece of paper, giving the bio of that uh, performer. Um, that's what he is. He's a performer. So uh, he is not somebody just arbitrarily pulled out of the audience. So we're a little betrayed there, and I'll say that in advance. I, I don't like when an audience is betrayed that way, thinking that somebody is... Um, not part of the show, who becomes part of the show. Tommy Toon was even guilty of this some years ago. And uh, the show Game Show was guilty mm -hmm. of this some years ago, too. So I um, I will get that out of the way, because I don't think they're playing fair with us, so I don't mind divulging that. Mark Summers is somebody I didn't know. He did a Nickelodeon show, and Slime seemed to be part of what he did. Um, there was a lot of glop, and there's a lot of glop in this show, too. Some of it is very amusing. Some of the... Um, devices that they bring on stage almost look like torture devices and certainly people from the audience who do sign up in advance you don't have to do it you, you put your name in a bowl by the way uh, <laughs> there was a moment where uh, one person who put a name in the bowl was terribly disappointed when uh, she was not selected why she was a child and so she was uh, probably about seven or eight years old so she starts coming uh, uh, down the aisle and Mark Summers says oh no 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 she's too young the kid was devastated for the rest of the show. She was she was in her father's arms with a you know really just so sad at being rejected. God knows how this is going to affect the rest of her life. God knows how much money she's going to have to spend on the couch telling a shrink that um, she was rejected in an early age and she's never gotten over it. But anyway, uh, those people <laughs> who do wind up on stage uh, do can um, be um, pretty messed up with uh, some of the, the, the glop that um, flows. But to be fair, um, Mark um, is not averse to being glopped himself. It is the life and times of Mark Summers. He takes you through his, his life. He tells his life story. And some of it is really quite sad. Um Sure, there are highs, but boy, are there lows. There are big lows. And maybe some of you know about him. I, I didn't know who he was, but uh, he did have a successful career and then uh, was zapped by something that uh, was beyond his control. So um, there is drama there, too. Um, it's an eminent sit throughable show um not amazing not terrible what is interesting um i happen to i always look around to see if an audience is responding that's something i do all the time are the husbands asleep you know that's uh, something that's a value of mine so so i noticed there's a teleprompter um he's he's actually reading um or at least uses it as an aid but um this is not um a, a show where he's ostensibly memorized what he has to say but there is a teleprompter up there so anyway um you know one of these two and a half stars out of four shows all right so that is the life and slimes of mark summers at new world stages and we'll have a link to that in the show notes uh 
finally this morning, you uh, headed over to the Soho Playhouse to see Nina Conti in The Dating Show. Uh, So tell us about uh, this show. Well, um, Nina Conti is the greatest ventriloquist I've ever seen, to the (laughs) point of which I really believed for a moment, wait, maybe she's not saying what the monkey in her arms is saying. Maybe somebody is feeding this backstage because I'm telling you, I have never seen anybody so accomplished at not moving a muscle of her mouth. It's just astonishing to see this. So my hat is off to her as being the most accomplished. And, you know, not that we see so many ventriloquists, God knows, but way back when, when I was a kid, they showed up routinely on variety shows and um, you could see every now and then the certain words certain sounds betrayed the fact that that you should pardon the expression dummy wasn't saying what um what the dummy was supposed to be saying but whoa whoa whoever taught this lady how to do this and 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 the hours she must have spent perfecting it is really incredible the audience had a wonderful time um she brings a lot of people on stage it is about dating and she um has a lot of questions she brings them on stage i felt that part of the show was not successful at all but i have to say the audience really responded to people getting up there and um not quite making fools of themselves i won't say that but um but certainly the unexpected things that happen when people from the audience are pulled on stage so uh she also put puts half masks on these people they're they're grotesque masks i don't mean that as a criticism they they're that's fair to describe them as grotesque uh from the nose down and i will say that when uh people speak through those masks they're very hard to understand so that's a bit of a problem as well but still um the the important part of the show comes when she is dealing with her monkey and that is very very funny stuff i'll tell you the monkey of course it's nina conti reminds me a great deal of dame edna because she has a lot of snarky remarks giving to people and you know it's all improv and whoa you know nina conti really can come up with a very smart improv when she needs to um, in the way that Dame Edna could when dealing with people. So um, there is an analogy there. So uh, I, I, frankly, I would like to see a show when Nina Conti and the monkey are the, the entire act. I think that would really be something. So um, I didn't need the people from the audience, but the audience liked the people from the audience. So, so there. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is uh, Nina Conti's The Dating Show. It is at Soho Playhouse through March 2nd, uh, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. All right, so uh, that wraps it up for our reviews. Before we get on to our brain teaser and our musical moments, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page, broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Broadway Radio is one way that you can get our podcasts early and support all of the Broadway Radio uh, 
shows. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora, Google Play, YouTube Music, anywhere that you can listen to your final podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including those uh, videos, the Gershwin... Uh, 1919 musical Lala Lucille that Michael mm-hmm. found, and we have some other things coming up in the musical moments, so check that out as well. But for right now, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's brain teaser? Well, it was last week and the week before, um, because people were flummoxed. I had to give an additional hint or two. <clears throat> so the question became, a female character in a Tony-winning musical that opened in the 60s could be described as deft, intelligent, musically literate, a teetotaler who doesn't buy or bum cigarettes off anyone. So who is she, and in what musical does she appear? Well, if she's deft then she's clever. If she's intelligent, she's smart. If she's musically literate, then she reads music. Someone who doesn't deal with cigarettes doesn't smoke, and a teetotaler doesn't drink gin. Yes, I'm talking about the gorilla in cabaret. That's the answer I was looking for. The one and only Tony Janicki was the one and only person to get it. No Brigadoot, mm. no Paul Witte, no Juliet Green, no J. Aubrey Jones, no Mike Meany, no. Only Tony Janicki. He is the king. Let's see how he does this week. Let's see how everybody does this week. Many assume that Cynthia Nixon was the first and only performer to appear in two shows on the same night. In 1984, she was in the first and third acts of Hurley Burley and then the second act of The Real Thing. So she had to travel two blocks between the theaters every night. But... A very different female performer did this many decades before Cynthia. We know her best from a famous Tony losing musical, whose title is actually a part of the title of one of the two shows in which she appeared nightly. Who is she? What were the two shows in which she appeared during the same night? What was her Tony losing musical for which we know her best? Hmm. All right. If you know the answer to this, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moments? We have music from Jelly's Last Jam. I was going to use the original Broadway cast album, but then I looked uh, and saw that City Center had posted a brief um, promo reel on YouTube. Uh, So uh, you can sample... uh, audio and video of that uh the just brief highlights from this phenomenal production of jelly's last jam as i said um musical director jason michael webb and amazing choreography by edgar godino and dormicia um just i think this brief um these brief clips alone will give you an idea of how great this production is and it's really not to be missed all right on behalf of michael portantier and peter felicia this is james marino saying thanks so much for listening to broadway videos this week on broadway bye-bye Bye. Bye.